0: Hello, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit with Holland and Barrett. In this episode, I was so happy to chat with personal friends of mine, David and Stephen Flynn, also known as the Happy Pair Chefs. They have an incredible community that they've built in Greystones in Ireland, but also online with up to 1 million people following their community, their courses, all of their products, their shops, their cafe. They are truly a phenomenon. And what I loved about our conversation today was that it wasn't actually just about their passion for plant based food. In fact, I'd go as far as to say it was very little about that. They talked about their personal journey. They talked about their huge desire to build community and relationships and how Connecting with other humans is one of the central pillars of wellness for them and arguably for all of us. So I would love to hear what you think. Please do let us know, leave your comments, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and do check it out and let us know if you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much. Hello, David. And hello, Stephen.
1: Hello, Gemma. Gemma. Hello. love the intro. Wow, thank you. (laughs)
0: Well deserved, well deserved. As I mentioned, you know, we do know each other. So this is going to be a really extra special chat. And I guess maybe just to start with, I did mention this before we were rolling. But Dave, please share a little bit about your recent wedding with us. It's it's a very happy time for you at the moment, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I just got married there last month to Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sabrina's Belgian. And uh, we had just bought a house this year. It was the start of this year. So we ended up getting married in our house because, you know, there was all sorts of COVID stuff where you mightn't be able to have it in a hotel or in a whatever. But I I, I didn't want that anyway. So it it was perfect. We had it in the house. There was maybe 50 people at a wonderful ceremony. And then there was maybe 50 other people came for dancing and food and partying and it was super fun it really was it was gorgeous it was a sunny day which is not common in ireland in september and then when the sun went down the moon came out so it was like (gasps) and it was all outdoors so it was like it was it was perfect and it was meant to rain we got so lucky it was meant to rain like the day before it was going to rain in the day and just all the stars aligned and magic yeah it
0: sounds as though it was very much a homemade wedding
1: yeah yeah my brother was the he was the master of ceremonies so he was our other brother, uh, he was like the priest, really of sorts. And then there was friends saying poems and playing music, and and then Steve was making the food with another brother and other friends. And everyone kind of had jobs, so it was it was great. It was a good. A good production, a family and friendly production.
0: Yeah, it sounds, yeah, it really it sounds so wholesome, so special. Well, yeah. and many congratulations. Uh, it's a Thank lovely, you, lovely, It's a lovely, lovely time of life. Yeah. And Stephen, may I say, is there anything that you're up to at the moment, apart from David? Because I know obviously you do most things together, but is there anything for you that you'd like to share?
1: Making chocolate. We were walking up the road there and i have we been making beans to bar chocolate earlier this year. We bought, or I bought, a winnower and a conch and a cracker. So that's to take making bean to bar process and to go right back to being able to buy single origin kind of speciality ground beans with certain kind of altitudes and certain ways in which they were grown to roasting them to cracking them to winnowing to managing and going through this full process and we made 22 bars there back a few weeks ago and I was walking up the road offering Dave a few squares and go Jesus great we've nearly eaten all those 22 bars together Jesus great and Dave was going when you ever sell them I was like no they're too good to sell not a chance so yeah that bit's been kind of fun
0: <laughs> that sounds really fun well I hope I get to try some when I next come visit
1: yeah absolutely of yeah. course Gemma
0: yeah really, really lovely well let's get cracking I know your work, but I wanna make sure that everybody who's listening to the Wellness Edit knows a bit more about you. So let's start, if I may, near the beginning. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you grew up and how it all began. Your origin story, if you will. Great, like, Do you wanna
1: go Dave or I go? Uh, sure, I'll have a quick go and then you can build off it. So yeah, we grew up in, in the same little town, which we currently live in, Greystones, and we're two of four boys. And we went to all-boys schools, so it was a real pack upbringing. We went, you know, four boys, you're hyper-competitive. Being identical twins, you're even more competitive. So, you know, by the time we'd finished school, we were playing semi-pro rugby. We were playing off nearly scratching golf. We were doing modeling. We played baseball for Ireland, so we were overachievers and all these things. Because playing baseball for Ireland is a serious achievement, isn't it, Dave? Uh, yeah, it's a serious achievement because <laughs> there's 20 people play baseball in Ireland. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, it sounds good and, like, this is the origin stories so you know put it in there
0: but you know you're also rugby and modeling and being clever and all that in there yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. uh, (laughs) so we ended up studying business really just because we wanted to go to college and meet girls you know afterwards we we didn't really believe it we didn't really buy into the the mantra the kind of underlying theme of business when you study business is that if you make loads of money then you're going to be happy and you know and blah 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 so like by the time we finished college studying business, it was like I remember both of us kind of felt an emptiness. We felt like there must be more to life. And I remember Steve turning to me one Christmas, it was we just finished college, and he said, Dave, Dave, I'm going away traveling. I'm going away to Canada. I'm getting a one way ticket. You're not going with me. That's what he said. And he said, I'm not coming back till I'm happy. It was like, well, okay okay, fine, I'm going to South Africa and you're not coming with me either. (laughs) Um, And I went off to become a golf pro in South Africa. We were 21 at the time and Steve went off to Canada to go see what life had in store. And we ended up separately kind of spending a couple of years wandering around the world, seeing what we were interested in. And we left as these two quintessential jocks, like meat and two veg and loads of pints of beer and... You know, we were that real kind of macho kind of, we, we were products of that culture. And then we came back two years later as these plant-based, vegan, yoga-doing, no-alcohol drinking, meditating men that wanted to start a vegetable shop and start a health food revolution. So wow. we left as one type of, you know, one in one box it per se, and then we came back in a totally different box. and. I remember our friends and our community thought we'd really lost our way. And
0: Did they try to stage an intervention at any point? <laughs>
1: oh, of course. But there's two of us and we we're, have we're, a lot of energy and we can be, you know, it'd be a tough act to go up against. So we're both pretty headstrong.
0: So how did you both come to the same realisation together, but not together.
1: I think being twins, you tend to, it's so much of your life is kind of intrinsically linked. Mm. And in a way, prior to us travelling, we both become slightly disillusioned with, you know, the social conditioning of the ideals that we were sold to. And it was only through travelling separately that you had a chance to explore what gave a sense of meaning and what um, kind of resonated. You had that opportunity to reevaluate yourself and go, maybe I'm not a jock. Maybe I'm going to try to be like a musician. And then you realize you're crap at music and you go, okay, maybe I'm not a musician. Okay. What else will I try that like reinvent myself and call myself some different name? You know, it it gave that opportunity because social media didn't really exist. So literally you checked your email once a week and that was back when you had a Hotmail email account. So me and Dave were in touch kind of once a week or, that type of thing you might have a phone call once a month but you kind of I don't know that being twins so much of your life tends to be linked and we were very much kind of headed in a similar kind of direction of exploration and he'd tell me he's doing fast and it's like jeez I don't want to, I'm going to start fasting too and then I'd say oh, I've gone vegan and he'd go oh, I've gone uh, you know I've gone raw vegan you know so Vegan
0: we were, level one Yeah <laughs> Now I'm vegan level 10
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah So yeah. you're always kind of experimenting and playing. So
0: there was that competitiveness there even then
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And the sense of curiosity where one has found something that kind of is giving you a sense of meaning and a sense of excitement and curiosity them goes, you almost must check that out too. That sounds great. You know, that yeah.
0: Body... Yeah. No, that does make a lot of sense. And I think it's interesting that you both searched for meaning outside of yourselves and then ended up coming back to, I guess, what was really intrinsically most important to you, which was an idea of sharing, would you say a compassionate lifestyle? Or was it a health thing or what, what was it that, that just made you decide, okay, I'm going to go plant-based?
1: I think it was pretty a curiosity. I'd, I'd say it was a curiosity that you're kind of curious of, you know, I don't feel like, I don't know my place in this world and what we eat three times a day, like this must have an impact on my health, my well being, and the planet. And I guess you start on this journey purely on the kind of selfish point of view of kind of realizing, okay, if I eat more broccoli, if I eat more kale, will I be able to run faster? You know, it goes to that basic simple thing. Will I have more energy? Will I feel better? And then I guess when you start going further down that road, you start realizing that what we put in our plates on a daily basis dictates the world we want to live in, you know, I think. And I guess that realization happened over time where you realize that politics starts in your plate. And if you, you know, the foods that make you healthy are the foods that typically are healthy for the planet as well. So, you know, as you started to realize those things, it became apparent that, oh, my God, like this is this is so important like how can we share this with more people because so many of us are spending we're living we're the product of current culture the pop culture which is all you're looking outside of yourself for money or fame or whatever it might be whereas the expense of our health and our connection and the planet and all these various things so Mm. we kind of wanted to start a movement in a different direction really yeah we wanted to try to use business as a vehicle for social change so it was very much started on these social entrepreneurial ideology that to use business to kind of try to create a happier healthier world that builds community Um, and i remember. I kind of recently, did you ever watch that movie Patch Adams? Yeah, I like that. You know, with Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. Like probably six months prior to starting the shop, I was in his Gesundheit Institute in South Carolina with a school called School for Designing a Society. Uh, and it was a whole bunch of dreamers and artists and all sorts of, you know, people like me trying to find their place in the world, questioning what is society and how do we have a positive influence? And I remember it was... From that, I kind of threw. I done a degree and a master's in business, and David did a degree in business and finance. And we kind of very much thrown out this kind of capitalist ideology that money makes you happy, and kind of really wanted to try to see how it could try to use the medium of business to try to create a positive kind of sense of impact in the community. Yeah. And business was the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 where we started.
0: Well, that's great because obviously you both ended up going to study business thinking, well, that's just the path that I have to take to success and actually using those skills in a much more meaningful way that actually brought you a lot more satisfaction than you could have imagined. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I can't say I really used those skills too much. <laughs> Initially, you know, you kind of, I'd very much thrown them out. It was very much, we weren't necessarily measuring, you know, the traditional KPIs or key performance indicators for a business. You'd look at what's your profit, what's your turnover, what's your gross profit, what's your margin, what's your, staff to labor waste or what's your labor to revenue ratio or things like this if you were actually looking at it professionally whereas me and Dave were measuring it like what's the vibe man yeah <laughs> no it wasn't that bad what's the vibe but it was but it, it was definitely measured on a different means of how we could influence like it was about how many people's lives we could impact and change uh, which, which is impossible to measure but it was really it was you know it's been that's what it started with and that's where it kind of still is really
0: yeah yeah well i think you must have used some of your business acumen to be able to maintain a very successful business throughout lockdown throughout the potential for people not doing so well you've been able to expand you've been able to keep creating you've been able to have loads of new products and innovations and courses which is amazing.
1: I, I probably wouldn't attribute any of that to studying business because we're not theoretical people. We tend to be very practical, hands-on people and learn by doing. So yeah. us going to business was like, no, we learned to pass exams because that's all you had to do. Like, But learning how to run a business, no, it's only when you put your own money in it and your own skin is in the game that then you learn really quickly. Mm. But like learning from a book about how to whatever raise capital or what a shareholder like it's just not relevant that's why i think in our experience in our, but that's absolutely in our experience because we are We don't learn in that kind of way. We're more hands-on. I know
0: you're you're very hands-on, and I see that in your YouTube videos and your cooking and the way that you talk and all the things that you do. It's like an experiential thing. You you experience it, you feel it, you do it, and it's the same with the lifestyle stuff. You talked about building community, and that's what I think has been so powerful about social media for you guys is that you have really shared that sense of community that you have built in your own hometown that authenticity, and you're able to share it with thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So, you know, that's that's pretty cool as well. Social media
1: has been a fun medium. I think when we started the business, there was such a a greater sense of purpose to it that even if, like we started in 2004 when social media wasn't or didn't exist. So, you know, you try to kind of talk to anyone who come into the shop. Oh, vegetables are good. Yeah, yeah, you should try to eat them. Oh, if you cook your squash this way, it's really nice. And Oh, my God, have you tried like... Roasted peppers. Wow. Because when we first started the <laughs> shop in Ireland, most people were buying cabbages and turnips and peppers didn't sell. And most people didn't know what an aubergine was. And lemongrass was weird. It didn't sell. You would throw the box out or you'd have to take it home to make soup with it. Mm-hmm. But over time, with the advent of social media, it gave that opportunity to amplify our message and to try to inspire people to kind of eat more veg and to kind of, you know, try to build that sense of social cohesion or a sense of community around health and happiness. Yeah. So it's been it's been a wonderful medium. It's it's a double-edged sword as you can re- like relate to it yourself like it's wonderful allows you to meet some people and it can also be such a, it requires time, it requires attention. There can often be, you know, as your audience gets bigger, naturally criticism can start to come and as sensitive people, it's how to manage that. So it's it's a double-edged sword. It's wonderful. And as me and David regularly say, it's a beast that constantly needs feeding and needs attention.
0: Oh, it's true. I like the way you've described it as a beast that needs feeding, because I think when you are trying to build something online that people respond to, it does it does require time. And I think that's a constant battle for many people, maybe less so for somebody that doesn't use it for that. But I think it's really interesting to reflect on what you said earlier, that you both wanted to get away from your roots in a sense, get away from your social conditioning, to then realise what was important to you. And I think that that's actually probably going to be increasingly hard for young people to do because you create this whole persona and highlights reel about your life and your existence from, what, what, 13 years of age, pretty much, you know, when you go and you make your first social media account. I think it's going to be really hard for young people to to be able to have that freedom to let go of of what they've built and what society expects of them. What do you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we're as parents that our, da- our eldest daughters are 11. So they're, you know, about to become soon enough, they'll become teenagers. We've daughters separately, just, just for anyone listening. Yeah, not together. <laughs> yeah, separately, of course. But I think, yeah, we're definitely frightened of that world because I think like we didn't have a first social media. I've never had a personal social media account. So I've never had those pressures upon me. Whereas I think it can be very challenging nowadays because... We look outside of ourselves, you know, you can look outside of yourselves and think, compare, you know, it's comparison culture and it, it breeds inadequacy and it doesn't necessarily foster self-love and encourage these type of things. And it's, it's very difficult if you don't have deep kind of values or if you don't have that emotional maturity, which certainly I wouldn't have been equipped to deal with it until I was a grown man, realistically, because... Are you a grown man now, Dave? Uh, probably yeah, say, <laughs> just Anne, about, yeah just
0: about just <laughs> about
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, like I, I fear for our kids and people who are you know like we've got a friend who he's he's the chaplain in a local school in a secondary school and he just talks of the the challenges like he deals with students on a daily basis who come in who are having problems and a lot of it's to do with comparison with social media with too much time on their phone and all these various things and uh yeah I definitely worry about it yeah Prior to social media, the world, it was easier to be more anonymous. You could travel around and reinvent yourself. And, you know, it gave more social, Um, what's the word, more social opportunity to move or mobility social mobility whereas nowadays you're very much this it's constantly tracking you and you see somebody you know you can find them on social media and you can track them down quite quick and then you can find a huge amount of their history and it's it's quite easy like it's nowadays whereas previously it wasn't like that so I think that's you know it's kind of frightening in some ways and in other ways it's it just is you know I think it's frightening really yeah it kind of is yeah well said Dave it is the reality and it's like how we can you know, life is changing and it's changed massively and how we can, you know, not lose ourselves to it and still stay true to decent values and whatnot. And that's the challenge.
0: It is the challenge. Brave new world. Yeah. But I mean, I guess going back to your journey and the time of life that you had and the time where digital media started to become popular, did you have any kind of challenges along the journey that you look back on and think that really helped us to move forward or that was something that we might do differently if we had our chance to do it all over again
1: no we had a completely easy ride it was so easy we just got up and just Walk down a sunny road every day. No, many would not
0: It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, no. Like I guess over seventeen years, it sounds like we've done loads and accomplished loads and whatever people can put all sorts of different words to describe it. But um, it's been just a constant adapting to problems, like and problem solving, and going one step at a time. And some days it's two steps forwards, and some days it's three steps back. And that's the reality of it. And if you look at it on a long enough lens, it looks like, wow, oh my goodness, you've got it sussed. But just like everyone else, we're doing our very best. And we've found some things that help make us feel good and impact other people in a positive way. And then we've also fallen in a lot of holes, just like everyone else. And then because there's two of us, we tend to be pretty good at climbing out of holes one can stand on the other's shoulder and out they go. Metaphorically, that is. Metaphorically. <laughs> that, obviously, that was, thank you for the clarification, Stephen. Well, I was going to say, because you
0: guys do do a lot of yoga and upside down handstands and all sorts of stuff. So that, again, wouldn't surprise me if you Yeah, did. yeah. <laughs>
1: definitely. And I think because we're, we're both quite optimistic characters, regret isn't something that we kind of, are naturally kind of predisposed necessarily to hang out. And, you know, obviously occasionally there are things you regret doing or saying, but looking back over 17 years, like, sure brought me to here now. I'm having a great time. It's great. You know the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: We're fortunate in that regard.
0: And I think that is a really lovely way to look at life because, you know, it's good to reflect, of course, and to think about how things could go better next time. But at the same time, regret doesn't really help anyone. And what I love about you two is... That that optimism and positivity really exudes from you both and you bounce off each other with that as well. I think that's a real gift, you know, because being an identical twin, I don't know if it's the same for other identical twins, but it's almost like you've just got that ready-made best friend or kind of even like a soulmate of sorts because you have that deep connection. You've always got somebody to take care of you or watch your back or or big you up or support you. It's a really special thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, really. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I think that probably has provided a huge amount of security for us because, you know, if the whole world blew up around you, it's like, Steve, you still there? Okay, great. Right, what are we going to do now? And you'd go off running around finding something to entertain yourself. So like it really does... You know, and even back in school, you know, you could just stand back to back and no one could get you from behind or do anything, you know, because there's two of you. It's been a very fortunate gift. So Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely very grateful for it, and I think when you spend so much time together, there's this wonderful synergistic kind of effect that you know how to bring the best out in each other, and you can immediately, like, regularly, we'd be going on trips, like over to London to do work or whatever, and then you get off the plane, you go, "Geez, great to be on holidays!" and It's like, "Oh yeah, we're working," but it just feels (laughs) like we're on holidays, you know that way because we're together. Whereas if we were on our own, it might feel more like a sense of graft. But because you're together, you're having a laugh and having the chats with different people and messing, and it's just really fun. There's a real funness about it all, and then also though, because like we're identical twins so in most business kind of partnerships or whatever one will be, one will be the front of house and they'll be very charismatic and colourful and they'll be able to lead in that kind of sense and the other person will probably be good at numbers and systems and accounting and all that kind of stuff whereas the both of us tend to have the exact same skill set so when you start a business with two people of the same skill set you're great at, you're amazing at certain things and then obviously you're amazingly you're, bad at other things you're <laughs> amazingly bad at other things so, uh, so like it, it works pros and cons cons you know it's not just all pros
0: no of course but you can get other people to help you with the stuff you're not so good at that's what we all have oh, to do yeah. right <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah we've also we've also realized though that because we often we don't have to talk about things we just have this common understanding almost like a tele- telepathic kind of you see the world from very similar perspectives so we don't have a real need to communicate about lots of things whereas many people in the business you got to really explain things and we both forget that so often that can be definitely one of something that we struggle with.
0: Do you think that's something that, that happens as well with your personal lives? Like how does it affect your families?
1: Yeah, I think it, that's a great question. Like, I think probably our wives now, they just, they didn't know any different or whatever. I'd say it's very different. You know, like my recent marriage is my second marriage. And in my first marriage, my kid's mom, wonderful, she's a wonderful woman. And she found it difficult that Steve was my number one, if you know what I mean. So that can be challenging that Sabrina's incredible. She's wonderful and she's a very independent person like you know she's very independent and which is which fits me wonderfully because you know steve is obviously a central part of my life yeah and always has been and sabrina's wonderful and we both can walk a bit like cal gobram says you know in the prophet the poet he kind of says that in all relationships in love like you've got to be like two pillars that hold up a roof if you're too close the roof will fall off whereas if there's enough distance and you keep your own individuality and separateness well then that you know you can keep the the union together easier. Good job. Oh, that's Dave.
0: really profound, Dave. That is such Oof. a great analogy. I'm going to remember that one. I love that. Ah,
1: yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah.
0: What about you, Stephen? What do you think?
1: Okay, let me think. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely a challenge in that we've always had each other and we've always had that sense of unconditional love, that sense of support and that often as I kind of mentioned, me and Dave don't have a need to kind of articulate things so often that we intuitively can understand each other. So in my relationship with my wife often, I'm not necessarily the most have a need to talk about everything that I kind of intuitively understand things or feel things or else I've chatted out with Dave. So I kind of I don't really have this huge need to kind of chat about as much stuff. So that bit... Uh, it's a work in progress, like, like much of my life, you know?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we all are a work in progress. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah, And I think, I think it's
0: our most intimate relationships are where that work often comes to light is, you know, the the people that love us the most, you know, there are those areas that we rub up against one another in different ways. Absolutely. And I do think that a lot of people can relate to that and you share, you know, you do share a lot on your, page about inspiring messages and the sunrises that you do and the thoughts that you have and what i love is that it's not just about the food it's about the community it's about being authentic being authentically yourselves and i think personally that's why people relate to you but what do you think is there another kind of secret magic ingredient that has made people really kind of get your message or as to why you've been so successful
1: uh, I I probably couldn't answer the latter half because that, you know, but I could definitely say that like food is certainly food. People can obsess over food. But I think like and you can use the word health, happiness, creativity, innovation, productivity, whatever kind of you could use it to describe anything, the same kind of adjective, because ultimately health is something health, energy, love, whatever you want to call it they're all kind of rooted to the same thing. And food is just one aspect to that. Like food is one of the core components to it. And like you could meet someone that just eats, they eat a raw food diet and they just eat kale and green juice and sprouts. But they could be miserable they, their relationships could be crap they could you know just have such negative self-worth that no matter how much vegetables they eat they're just not gonna you know thrive whereas you meet other people steve will often use the analogy he'll go well like we all know someone that's lived to the age of 90 they never ate a vegetable in their life they drank whiskey and smoked cigarettes but they laughed a lot. They had so much joy. They had so much, they had so much meaning to their lives that they prospered and grew. And like you'll often, Stephen will often say as well, he says, well, I think two of the greatest superfoods, which people don't necessarily consider superfoods, are joy and laughter. And like, I think food is one super, super important thing. And really, like, as like your food is a huge part of your message as well. But it's, it can be a gateway into realizing that there's so much more to being a healthy, happy human. And it's it's one of the core ingredients. I don't even know what all the ingredients are, but it's it's one of them.
0: One of the core ingredients to that little magic recipe. I I completely agree. You know, obviously when I'm on social media, my moniker is plant power doctor. But as you guys know, I talk about all sorts of things, not just eating plants. I talk about being kind to yourself, moving your body, sleep, all those pillars of health. And like you say, laughter, actually connecting with other humans, feeling that sense of purpose, all these things, they're really integral. And But food is a gateway to that, uh, there's no denying it. It's often where people start. And, you know, once they start putting different things on their plate, they begin to think, oh, what else could I change? And I feel quite good for that. What else can I add in here? And I think that that's one of the things that I love about you guys. I mean, your recipe books and your YouTube are just phenomenal. Now, obviously, I'd recommend anybody that's listening to go and check those out. But going back to the food, I guess that's always been the basis from which you spread the rest of your community message. Is there any like, would you give us sort of your best hero plant-based ingredients that you think for someone who's just sort of figuring this stuff out, who hasn't really tried to eat plant-based before? Have you got any kind of top ingredients or top tips for people?
1: I think there's no perfect. That would be the number one thing. Many people start with this kind of ideology. You know, modern culture tends to celebrate perfection. And I think it's unrealistic and I think it's just to start and start where the low hanging fruit to use that analogy but to start if you don't like vegetables start with fruit if you don't like try to eat fruit in season because they're going to be sweeter cheaper more readily available and more juicy and delicious like right now in Ireland pear season and pear you might go ah pears are bland but we have pears falling off the tree in our garden and regularly I can kind of walk past and kind of go ah it's just a pear like this there's mangoes over in the shop I want a mango but when you get a ripe pear and you eat it, you can sit there and eat six pears. and They're just juicy. And the juice is dripping down your face. And you're going, oh my God, I love pears. <laughs> uh, and I think it's about, in, in terms of, uh, to answer your question more specifically, a perfect ingredient, there is no perfect ingredient. I think just start with something that resonates with you. We're all different. to You might be bananas, might be lovely lovely to another person. They may go, bananas, I hate them. So whatever floats your boat, but try to eat unprocessed whole plant foods, as many of them as you can. But as I said, there's no perfect. Do your best.
0: And, and I'd that. even
1: I'd even build on that and I'd just say it's progress over perfection. Like it really is. There is no ideal. And it's kinda of start as Stephen said, it's starting where you're at, like, and it's kinda of going, okay, well like because statistically nowadays, as you you'll often say like fifty percent of the calories people eat in the UK and Ireland, more than it, are processed foods. And it's and about 40% are animal foods and less than 10% are whole plant foods. So the name of the game is about eating more whole foods. And that doesn't mean if you eat a piece of chicken, you're off the team it's about moving the dial because our bodies function better when you eat more of the whole grains, your beans, your fruit and veg. And like food is so habitual. And nowadays we live such busy lives. Like we people, we tend to pack our lives so much that food is extremely habitual that we just tend to Monday night is shepherd's pie and Wednesday night I make a spaghetti bolognese and Friday night we have chicken curry and Saturday we have pizza. And it's the same kind of habits and we just rinse and repeat it. Whereas I I think if someone's going to change, you have to be quite intentional and go, okay, I'm going to start with one new dinner. I'm going to learn a dinner. I'm going to try, okay, those happy pair lads, they have like five minute dinners. That chickpea curry has 2 million views. I'm going to try that. That must be half decent. And you cook that one week, and If it's nice, well, maybe you integrate that into your, into your ritual and you make that on a, a regular basis. But I, I think it needs intentionality because the food environment that we live in nowadays is processed, junk food by and large because food companies make money and we, our hardwiring has us addicted to fats and salts and sugars, which is probably 90% of the foods in a supermarket.
0: You know, you're very right. And I think that's something people don't necessarily think about when it comes to food and availability of food and marketing and profit margins is ultra-processed food is very easy because it has a very, very long shelf life and you can mass produce it and you don't have to worry about it going off. And... It tastes very palatable. We are hardwired to respond to those flavors. And so it, it does give us a little bit more of a challenge. And I like the fact that you mentioned that there ideally will be some intentionality behind making some shifts. And then once your intention is there and you start to actually enjoy and find these things delicious and tasty, then that makes it so much easier, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think what's sustainable is not like beating yourself up. Like what's sustainable is feeling good and having more energy and feeling happy in your own skin. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other part that I was just going to add was just that sense of we become a product of our environment. And, you know, it's often said, you know, if you if you have friends that are healthy, you're much more likely to be healthier. If you have friends that are overweight, you're much likely predisposed to be slightly overweight too. So it's not so to say to change your friends, but even just have one healthy friend and just try to... We do become a product of our environment. So the more we can have that sense of social support, that social accountability, the easier it is to sustain it. So if a anyone listening does want to try to start to eat more healthy try to get a loved one or if you don't even have a loved one that lives nearby have someone online that you simply you can say I'm going to try to do this today and do you mind holding me accountable because we're much more likely to achieve it when we do have that sense of trying to do it for someone else and that sense of wanting to you know show up.
0: Yeah it's true when I was doing my marathon training runs I found it much easier when I had my friend turning up at my door at 5 a.m. and say, come on, out you come, let's do a run. (laughs) Whereas when I had to do my last marathon, it was all me and it (laughs) it was a lot harder to get out the door. So I can definitely relate to that. Yeah,
1: totally.
0: So you mentioned your chickpea curry with over 2 million views on YouTube. Are there any others that you think oh, this would be really easy like, for people to make at home, or this one is a classic go-to dish that people can have a look at and see what they think.
1: I think most people, they're looking for quick and easy and simple. So yeah. we did, I remember a few years ago, we were, we were just, like, we put up videos every week on YouTube. And obviously on YouTube, you're looking for very stuff that's pe- very relevant because, you know, what gets viewed is things that are very relevant and zeitgeist. So we wanted to see if we could start cooking dinners in five minutes and start to scratch, like with a timer. So we've got, we've got, We've now got about 40 or 50 dinners up there. They're five minute dinners. They're all quick and easy and simple. They'll typically cost you between two and three pounds to make them. They'll feed somewhere between two and four people. So they're inexpensive, they're quick. And a lot of them have like, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. So have a look through those and see what you think. Just type in the happy pair five minute dinners. And there's, I'd say there's at least 50 of them there. That's brilliant. Even I think kind of healthy food doesn't have to be like complex. You can have porridge, you can have vegetable soup, you can have some apples, banana, dip mints and peanut butter. You know, it doesn't have to be complex. Your dinner can even take one minute, not even five minutes. You know that way?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so yeah, true. Yeah, but
1: not everyone likes eating porridge like you, Steve. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay.
0: Luckily, I am a porridge fiend personally, so that's right. good for me. (laughs) Um, good on
1: you, Gemma. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. So tell me a bit more about your swim rise, because obviously I know all about swim rise. I've actually done it in a bikini in mid-February in the Irish Sea. But why did I do it? Why why are you doing it every day? Uh, And uh, yeah, share with our listeners what it's all about.
1: Yeah, I guess it's addictive. I guess that's like, in terms of like you talked about, like food, food being like, we're all looking for something that makes us feel good and we discussed like laughter and connection being so important and back a few years ago we like we live we've always lived right by the sea but we used to swim during summer but we were never those crazy people that swam in winter and a number of years ago it kind of just happened by chance that we were down we used to take this is probably seven or eight years ago we used to we had young kids at the time separately and we used to be walking the kids to sleep at 4am kind of like you know you'd wake up in the middle of the night and I remember um Steve just took a photo one day and put it up on Twitter and people really liked the idea of a sunrise and, and we used to go down. It used to be a time that me and Steve used to spend together. We used to go walking around by the sea in the morning. And one day we, there was, we were just taking a photo and this guy came out of the water and he, he kind of put his foot up on the rock and said, you're getting in, lads. And he kind of beat, it, beat his chest like in a very masculine kind of way. And <laughs> we're very susceptible to masculine kind of um, challenges. So it was like, yeah, of course we are. So it was like September and it was really cold <laughs> and we ended up going for a swim. Him. and uh, he he told us his name was nile and blah blah blah. we chatted away afterwards and he said i'll see you same time tomorrow lads and it's like yeah of course yeah great and uh so the next day we came along and um hugo another lad who we didn't know at the time he ended up joining us again and then the next day we all showed up again and then caroline came and then i think the day after that stephen brought tea and and we didn't know if we'd do it for another day or another week or how long it would be and that's probably been more than seven years now and it's gone from just a few of us to where, you know, from 20 people up to a 1000 people on the beach swimming at sunrise. And I guess, you know, everyone's equal when you're in a pair of swimming togs, you know, and you've got this common enemy being the cold sea. It's just an incredible, it just connects you to nature. It's like mainlining nature, it connects you to people it tends to whatever way the cold water just tends to do wonders to your mind and your mental health and then standing around drinking tea having the chats is like like often by 9am we can have had a couple of hours of chats and had almost like a party on the beach and we're skipping around like a pair of five-year-olds delighted with life and it's a very nice way to start the day
0: it is. It is. And I've experienced it, as I say, a couple of times, maybe three times. And you feel kind of proud of yourself. You know, you feel good. You feel as though, yes, I've achieved something today. And also just noticing that community that you have built up around the swim rise is something really special. Wishing each other happy birthday and bringing treats and tea and chats. It's it's something that, that as humans, I think we all really crave is that sense of real connection that you can get from just chatting to other people.
1: And also that sense of being out in nature. I think nowadays, you know, so many of us spend time inside and I think being outside every day in the same spot, you tend to spot the change of the seasons. I think seeing the sunrise in the morning, there's something beautiful about setting your kind of circadian rhythm and kind of Work with the kind of natural cycle of the day, and you tend to notice, you know, in winter sunrise at eight forty, in summers at four fifty. So you really see the change, of like the transition, and you see where the moon is. You start realizing the moon so You know, you start becoming aware of so many more things, not because you're trying to, but just because you're there. And someone say, "Oh, it's a northerly wind today." Oh, geez, is that cold north wind? And you know, and you start to become part of nature again. It's true.
0: It? That's very true. I think that's probably something that's missing from a lot of our lives, and so something that's integral to farming culture actually is this real connection to seasons weather growing food uh being able to predict you know or or try to predict when would be the best time to harvest and all of that kind of stuff is is it's very hard actually like we we do I, i certainly feel very separated from nature a lot of the time i feel very fortunate i live near some woodland and you know i do tend to tell people as much as they can to go outside maybe go to a local park try and look for green spaces wherever's possible if they are near somewhere that's green but there's a lot of social disparity as well which means that people don't always have access to those things so i love the fact that you're able to share that at least virtually for for you know the rest of us but also in real life with the people that you connect with in your in your town so that's really special
1: thanks And, and there's loads of people that visit so if anyone's listening and want like is looking for a trip come to greystones there's always people visit from different parts of the world and we swim at sunrise on the cove in greystones so that's where you find us every day so yeah, come join, come join us,
0: us anytime. And they, that is actually true. People, they they will be there by hook or by crook, unless they're away on business or something. <laughs> They'll be there every yeah. day.
1: We're
0: there. Yeah, we're there, it's great. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So I guess we should try and draw this to a little bit of a close. What do you think? I mean, we've talked about so much. We've talked about food. We've talked about connection, community. We've talked about your swim rise. Is there anything that you think has been... I guess I don't necessarily like to call it a non-negotiable because I think, you know, we have to have some flexibility in our lives, but is there a daily thing that you do that brings you peace, brings you happiness, brings you extra health that you'd like to share before we sign off?
1: Yeah, I think the single biggest thing I would say people. It's about connections. And we've kind of touched on it, but I really, really do believe that that like in a world that's gone digital and where we all spend so much time on tech and you've got you can look on Tinder and you can swipe right and you can swipe left and you can do whatever. But I think ultimately the quality of life is dictated by the quality of your relationships. And you know, if you think of any great memory you've had, they're usually it's who you've been with and how much fun you've been having and that's the biggest dictator. And I think nowadays so many of us are struggling with loneliness and isolation. And it's not always talked about. And I think it's that that reminder that every single person out there is going around with an invisible sign that says, please love me, please validate me, please make me, you know, please appreciate me. And every single person is. And we all have different strategies. Some of us have nice hair and some of us have nice cars and some of us have fancy jobs. But ultimately, all of us want to feel loved. We want to feel belonging and we want to feel connections. So it's to really realize that, that all relationships start somewhere. And if you, you know, and maybe if you're an introvert, maybe it's just getting a pet, but it's just really prioritizing making time for relationships, because nowadays we're, we're in such a productive productivity culture. And I think human relationships is so fundamental. Hear,
0: here. That's true. It's very true. I think often we feel as though we're not really achieving things when we should be or, you know, if we're, if we're just kind of, you know, if we've got certain goals and we're not actually necessarily constantly working towards them, then that feels bad. But actually just spending time with people that you love is, is hugely nourishing and working on those relationships because they're not always easy. Oh, totally. that, that, that's part of that human journey as well.
1: And I think part of that is also the sense of loose social connections, which is something that's often not spoken about. It's like, do you say hello to the person that makes your coffee? Do you have the chit chat with the lady down the end of the road about the weather? Do you have those little small interactions that can seem so frivolous? Like my wife is from Poland and she'll often, you know, she kind of make fun of the fact that in Ireland and in England, that we love talking about the weather. It's our favourite topic conversation. But it's a wonderful, safe space that it's almost like this sense of, it's a kind of flirtation, like it's, do I want to chat more with you? It's this kind of little dance, this little ritual. And that often, if you think about all your friendships, they all started with a hello. And typically it takes around 30 to 40 hours to kind of build a trusted friend. And every friendship started with a hello. So I think as important the close relationships are, it's also these loose social interactions, even with research in the blue zone, were found to be nearly as important as the close social interaction. So it's like, do you say hello to the person that drove the bus? Do you say hello to the person you see walking past your dog? That these things are really important for our sense of belonging and that sense of social adherence, cohesion, that sense of belongingness, which we all crave and which is this intrinsic part of ourselves that is starting to surface and be talked about more.
0: It's so true. So true, Stephen. And I think I reflected on this yesterday. I was just walking. Well, I don't even remember where I was now, but I was walking along and I was wondering whether the people would look and smile or say hi, or you know what they would do. And I thought, isn't it interesting that most people don't look up or they don't smile, especially in London, you know, on the <laughs> underground and stuff like that. But actually, it, it takes a certain amount of bravery, I think, to even open yourself up to eye contact. Sometimes, if you're in a if you're in a sort of a dark place or you're feeling lonely, the gaze of another is almost, especially for people perhaps who are more introverted by nature it's quite a lot of pressure because <laughs> you have to wait for their response and you have to, like if you're smiling and they're not smiling, you think, well, is there something wrong with me? Or, you know, "What? why aren't they smiling? Why, why, aren't, you know, why aren't they kind of interacting with me? But I think most of the people that don't interact and don't lift their eyes and don't get involved with a simple hello, it's probably more that they are actually scared to, to make that first step, that sort of tentative first, oh, hi, or a little smile and i think if everybody just tried to sort of get over that self-consciousness in a way then you know we'd all probably get an awful lot more from our social interactions
1: and i think vulnerability i think you said it there that sense of vulnerability and being able to you know intimacy ultimately is intimacy and you know if any of your intimate relationships you're sharing you're vulnerable those weird those raw parts and that's what brings us closer and typically it's it's the imperfections that makes us all more relatable so i think it's that sense of a friend andrea splendori he's got this lovely concept of the one hour holiday that, you know, often when we're over in London and we're on the Tube and me and Dave are having this excited energy. We're in London, wow, exciting. And we're on the Tube and we have so many chats and you meet so many interesting people. Like, even as an example, you got off the Tube there the other day and there's a priest there, oh, Father, will you bless me? And Dave's not at all religious, but straight away, will you bless me? And he did the whole thing and he said, oh, that felt so amazing. And then running around, you know, this this really cheerful thing. And I think Andrea's kind of sense of is: can you take an hour a day where you put on those lenses, those lenses of those rose-tinted glasses where it's like I'm on my holidays, I'm open to the magic of life, to the moment, to appreciating the magic that surrounds me every day that I tend to take for granted. But Mm -hmm. when I'm on holidays for those two weeks a year, I see it, my God, isn't Saint-Tropez incredibly beautiful? Whereas I think there's a magic of life is everywhere and I think it's in every moment. And I think the more we can give ourselves that permission to realise that life only Happens here and now. It doesn't happen in the future. It doesn't happen in the past. The real magic of life is in that moment. And when we can take that moment, I think that's when we feel more whole and more complete and more kind of lose ourselves to the magic of life.
0: 100%. Good. Good that one, is an man. amazing monologue right there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry.
0: I love that. No, you don't. No need to apologize. That That basically is it in a nutshell. And you're so right. I think it's actually really nice to wear rose tinted glasses. Okay, well, I think that that is us rounded up very nicely. What an incredible conversation. Thank you both for joining me. Let me know is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners that's coming up for you that you would like to draw their attention to?
1: Uh, we've got a NAP which we're launching in the next week or two, which is all, all the things which we talked about, like the food, the movement, the lifestyle, and there's a community there to support people on it. So, that's hopefully coming this week. It's If you just in the App Store or the Google Play Store, type in the happy pair. Wow. And there's, you know, there's a free trial of people like it. And it's, you know, all our courses, people can, you know, take part in them if they want in there. But it's, it's really a, a membership and a kind of platform where we're trying to, we try to create a place where people can, you know, support one another to try to adopt these things and make the type of friends which are trying to hold one another accountable to live happier, healthier lives.
0: That sounds absolutely amazing. What a lot of work you must have put into that.
1: Yeah, it took it took way longer than we thought, but it's yeah. been ups and downs and funds. And as we said, three steps forward and two steps back, and you know, absolutely learning,
0: learning and growing. And that I should say, that sounds like such a useful resource. So thank you for sharing it, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you guys again soon.
1: Yeah, Brilliant. Very much so. Thank Thanks, you, Jamie, You're a Brilliant. star. Thanks. A Wonderful million. to chat with you as always.
0: And you, and you, David, and you, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining me today. I absolutely love spending time with the happy pair twins. They are so full of energy and enthusiasm for life. It's genuinely infectious. And I loved hearing more about their story from from being those typical jocks to actually caring a lot about health and community. I think for me, community was the big take home from this podcast. And uh, hopefully you guys found it inspiring, thinking about ways in which you can share more in terms of your local community as well. If you enjoyed it, do share with your friends and family. And uh, remember, you can find all previous episodes of the Wellness Edit on your favorite podcast platform or via the Holland and Barrett website at hollandandbarrett.com. And remember to join me again next week for our next episode, when we'll be talking to another great guest about how they fit wellness into their day. All views are those of our guests and not Holland and Barrett, unless explicitly stated otherwise. Any reference to brands and or products should not be considered as an endorsement.